You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 18, covering The Apple and The Doomsday Machine. All right, here we are again. On the old post-atomic horror. I've, I've stopped abbreviating the show. I've stopped calling it the PAH. Because, uh, there's, there's a contingent of people who have decided that that means pi. And it does not. Uh, it, it, in this case, it doesn't. I understand the argument. That, uh, it it that people, can. Well, people from pie. down south, have, you know, have a, people from other places be talking differently. <laughs> and, uh, and and down south, they, they tend to say pie as pa. Unfortunately, pa also means this show. So. This was from Al's short-lived stand-up career. Yes, people be talking different is, uh, was my HBO <laughs> special. It didn't go well. <laughs> All right. Um, this week, wow. Remember last week when we said these are the two best episodes in a row where you're ever going to hear us do? That did not happen this week. No, this week is sort of the, the, the opposite of it. Well, the opposite, I guess, would be the two of the worst. This is like one of the best episodes and one of the worst, like right together. Mm-hmm. And uh, as per our, our typical coin flip, unfortunately, I ended up with the bad one. The apple. So <sighs> let's, let's, just, uh, let's just do this thing. I've never wanted to punch an episode of Star Trek before. I mean, for one thing, how could you even do that? It's an abstract concept that was written, produced, and broadcast almost half a century ago. Also, I'm a pacifist, so I don't punch things. But Jesus, you guys, the apple made me want to punch it so hard. Why do you make me hit you, the apple? I'm pretty sure this was a seven or eight part episode because there's absolutely no way I felt that much agony in only 50 minutes. Then again, as I review the plot to recap for you, there seems to be only about 10 minutes worth of story beats. It's a paradox. How can an episode where so little happens feels like it went on for so long? In fact, I'm so angry with this episode that I'm actually tempted to use this time to discuss something else entirely. Maybe I'll do that. So, listeners, how's it going? It's just after breakfast here. I had French toast. What did you have? Alright, alright, fine. So the Enterprise crew beamed down to the most awful-looking focation, that's a faux location, by the way, they've ever visited, and after watching three different red shirts drop dead and barely feigning concern, they meet some guys who look like full-sized Oompa Loompas and worship an awful-looking papier-mâché head called Landru. Or Val, whatever. Val is a computer that acts as a god to the fake Oompa Loompas. Where did it come from? Why does it rule these people? What does it even look like? Never mind that! Instead, here are several long scenes that heavy-handedly compare the planet to Eden. Seriously, they drive this point home about 86,000 times, but I'm still not buying it. Apart from the fact that there are plants and mostly naked natives, there's nothing particularly Eden-like about the place. There just isn't. Eventually, oh, you know what happens. Kirk kills God, forces the natives to think for themselves, and leaves. The best part was when it was over and I never had to watch it again. Yeah, this was a piece of shit. This was, you, you mentioned, uh, I don't know, seven or eight hours into it, mm. uh, that this felt like what we, as kids, what we were sort of, we thought Star Trek was like a boring grown-up show and we weren't into it yet. This is what we thought it really was. Yeah. Like, this This is sort of the quintessential bad Star Trek episode. Every All the cliches, all the, uh, all the complaints you would have about the show happened all in one place. This is where, this is where Red Shirt's dying comes from. They kill four. Yeah, and nobody cares. No, well, of course not. Like, They're not main characters. A guy gets shot by, like, a, uh, it's similar to the spores in, um... 
that episode where Spock doesn't say, I'm not going back, Jim. Yeah. And um, it just, like, shoots these projectiles at him, and he's dead. Mm-hmm. And they're all still milling about these mysterious plants. Like, mm-hmm. huh, I guess he's dead. Let me poke at this then. Let me look <laughs> at this flower. Let me. Let- Kirk picks one up and just sort of waves it around. Yeah, uh, there's no emergency procedure. There's no, like, well, maybe we should lock this down and, and, and investigate further and, like, scan from safety before we send more people into it. Nope. No, you, you just picture Spock crossing a name off of a list. Yeah. Well, Johnson's dead. And then they send, uh, who who are the guys? I don't remember their names, unfortunately. They they had, like, a ridiculous, like, comedic vaudeville pair <laughs> name. It's like, the Henderson and Jiminy, and Jiminy show. Yeah, something like that. They sent those two guys in, and of course they both died. Mm. Guy got struck by lightning, and then, what was the other one? <laughs> We had on a, we, a rock and it exploded. Yeah, there was loaded. some debate between the two of us where which was the funnier death. I thought the guy who got struck by lightning was funnier. You thought the guy who stepped on the exploding rock was funnier. I love uh, I love Spock picking up one of the rocks. He snaps it in half, proclaims that it has nice cleavage, and then throws <laughs> it away where it explodes. Yeah, it was you know not not good. What? And then uh, as they're trying to figure out what's going on, Bones is standing in the smoking remains <laughs> of, of the one guy. <laughs> That was great. And he wasn't, like, scanning it with his tricorder. He's just standing there talking to Kirk. And he's fucking pumping smoke out of it. Now, see, there are bad episodes like uh, like the forthcoming Spock's Brain. Yeah. Which is infamous for being just a terrible episode. But that one is so over-the-top ridiculous that we can giggle like this through most of it. And at least, at least it's funny on that sort of MST3K level. Yeah. This, apart from the guys dying in the beginning, there's nothing. There wasn't even anything to laugh at. No, it's just... Bland and stupid, and Chekhov was macking on some chick for the entire oh. time, whose only function on the planet was to be there so he had someone to hold hands with. Yeah, every time she had a line, he would sidle over and put his arm around her. And, like, oh. what is your problem, dude? Should call him Pav. There's this whole clumsy, awkward thing where these natives, these primitives, don't know what sex is. Yeah. And the girl realizes it, and there's this, I guess, comedy scene that goes on for, I don't know, way six too days. Long. <laughs> where they're all, like, giving each other meaningful glances and shrugging, and Spock is embarrassed somehow. Which is bullshit. Yeah, it's so bad. Oh, my God. The the paper mache head, which I uh, which I appropriated for our cover art, you can get a, a sample of it there. I actually the old Vol. It. I actually improved it a little. The uh, there was only one fang on it initially, and I I just couldn't stand that that asymmetry. I had to put the other fang in there. <laughs> Behold, Val, the one fanged paper mache god. But that was the entrance to the cave or whatever. They would go inside. They would feed the thing flowers and fruit, mm-hmm. which apparently it used as fuel. I, I guess there's like Mister Fusion in there, maybe. I, I apparently, <laughs> but if they leave it long enough. The the uh... The cave could fly. <laughs> but nobody ever, like, we never went inside the thing, so we don't know what the actual Vol looks like. No, and you know what? We don't ever actually even show that it's a computer. I think Kirk just guesses. Well, he did that typical uh, Kirk leap of logic. Where... Yeah, but eventually we find out that he's right, you know? It's just like, oh, you're right, Captain. It is a uh, computer. Yeah, but we thing. never find out. We never see the computer. We never find out how it got there, why it's controlling these people, what why its ultimate it, purpose is. Why it looks like a snake. Well, I I figured the people built that around it. Like, that's what that felt like to me. Like, here is our, you know, 
here is our uh, primitive native uh, thing that we've built around this mysterious god See, that only I don't uh, think that the people that live there could ha- would have the wherewithal to build a snake. You're probably right. They just they, they might mill be about make... in a village wearing no pants. <laughs> they might be able to make like a like a, a clay snake. <laughs> you know, the snake, like where you just rub yeah. your hands together on some clay. <laughs> I have made Val. Let us worship it. <laughs> yeah, and they were just, they were gross looking. Like, they didn't look anything like aliens. They just looked like people who used too much uh, bronze tanning agent. Oh, yeah. And they all and, had, like, uh, bleach blonde hair. They seriously looked like Oompa Loompas. Yeah, they did. Um, and the the main dude, like, looked stupid and acted stupid. He had a decent voice is about the only good thing I can say. Like, yes, very commanding. Val demands that you blah, blah, blah. And he had these stupid little antennae sticking out where, yep. like, Val communicated with him. <sighs> there was there was a point where they, they come up to this, the giant snake head, and all I could think was, that's the second biggest snake <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> Because it was very Monkey Island. It was very, like, I imagine they were going to pull out the giant Q-tip to open it up. <laughs> yeah, this, ent- this entire episode was a pl- was an elaborate plot by LeChuck. <laughs> they had to get Herman Toothrot's banana picker back. To, uh... <laughs> um, there, there was, I think, one of the only significant things in this episode, and I could be wrong about this, but I think this was the first mention of a non-interference directive, what we will eventually come to know as the Prime Directive. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, they, they mean, ignore. Well, they do. But there is at least a debate. Spock says, what about the non-interference directive? Should we, you know, should we mess with these people's natural development? So, I mean, at least at least that is starting to form and coalesce, yeah. I suppose. But, uh, so? And you were saying that the debate between Spock and Bones about whether they should interfere or not, that was pretty good. Not, that was that was about the only interesting thing in there. Where not I, I'm great, but that's because we're marks for a good Spock and Bones argument. Like that, that's that our true. favorite thing, you know. Like, Ugh. and and that was it. Like they had a nice debate. the The running debate, and I could see three or four drafts later this actually being a good episode. But mm-hmm. this felt like very much like a first draft. Um, the the running debate between Bones and Spock was, uh, should we? You know, the, Spock was like, these people seem happy. Why would we, you know, why would we mess with it? This works. It's not broken. Why fix it? And and Bones was all about uh, free will and, you know, yeah, these people, people should develop it. And from, from a medical, like, scientific standpoint, it was like uh, evolution has stopped. Yeah. They got to breed. They got to evolve. They got to, you know, adapt. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I could see the, the core, the very, the, the, you know. A, a tiny kernel of a good argument, a good, a good uh, philosoph- philosophical debate, but it it didn't it didn't happen. I love uh, Kirk's thing at the end when he's trying to teach them about you know love and sex and crap, and he just gives up and goes, "Ah, hey, you'll figure it out." I don't think they will. No, I I I don't think so because they they were like tens of thousands of years old. Val kept them alive somehow, and mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing sterilized them. I don't know. I yep. don't know. I, I don't even know. What I are don't care is the thing. <laughs> what are children? Uh, y- you'll figure it out. Really? Really? They're just, they're, usually we get to a point where we discuss what we liked, what we didn't like, and then we sort of speculate about things. And, uh, you know, we've gotten to that point now in our discussion, and it's hard to speculate about something I just don't care about. Yeah, I'm starting to get mad now. Yeah, well, I've been mad. <laughs> I drew this episode, and it, it wasn't deliberate. It was, you know, we divide these up, and... Sometimes one of us sees one we really like. Sometimes it's just luck of the draw. And uh, I don't blame you that you got the best episode and I got the worst episode. But uh, like, but Matt, 
you're getting the episode where they made Abe Lincoln. No! <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you're going to pay. <laughs> That's just how it goes. Not, not in a vendetta kind of way. <laughs> Stay tuned for the episode where I review the, for that Voyager episode where Janeway turns into a lizard. <laughs> and has sex with lizard Tom Paris. Ugh. Yeah, enjoy that. <laughs> Fortunately, that'll be in like seven years and you won't remember. <laughs> Ancient Klingon proverb, Al, revenge is a dish best served cold. (laughs) Only Matt could go to lizard fucking. (laughs) All right, we are done with the apple, and uh, apart from our our season two wrap-up, we will never speak of it again. Yes. I pronounce this episode garbage. (laughs) Garbage. Actually, that's not true. I'm almost certainly going to pull this back out as a comparison. Because when we get into season three, that's what I worry about the most. Season three, they they ran out of budget. They lost a lot of their best writers. And there's a lot of episodes like this. And I'm worried that, you know, this happened early in season two. But I'm worried that this is a a harbinger of what's to come. Yeah. I'm worried we're going to have mostly this. And we're not going to have something awesome like the Doomsday Machine to balance it out. Yeah. But for now, let's let's live on the good part. Yes. uh, Matt, the Doomsday Machine is yours. Take it away. Oh, the Doomsday Machine. All right. The Enterprise receives receives a distress call from the USS Constellation. They arrive to find that all but two of the planets in the entire sector that should should be there have been destroyed. It's a good thing that that Federation space is so big because they lose planets at a fairly startling rate. The crew also discovers the constellation, commanded by this week's Commodore Schmidlap, Matt Decker. The constellation's a wreck, and Decker's a barely functioning madman. Kirk interviews Decker, discovering that, that the constellation was attacked by, and I'm quoting here, <clears throat> a giant evil death funnel of death. <laughs> Did they actually? I, I must have missed that. They call it a death funnel of death. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, uh, that's the official <laughs> designation. You look it up on Memory Alpha, and it's right there. Death funnel of death. All right. He tries to beam his crew to, to, safe, to the safety of one of the planets, but the Death Funnel ate it. Kirk sends Decker back to the Enterprise while he, Scotty, and a small crew pull the Constellation back into working order so that it can be towed home. That's when the Death Funnel shows up, and it looks bad fucking ass and is scary as shit. Seriously, this thing is fucking awesome. It attacks the Enterprise, disabling the transporters and stranding Kirk and Scotty, and then make, starts making its way to the Rigel sy- system obviously drawn by that system's thousands upon thousands of delicious planets. <laughs> Spock wants to pick up the captain alert Starfleet so they can get some ships together to, you know, fight it, but Decker takes command and orders an attack on the funnel. Spock and McCoy attempt to prevent this, but they're tied up in Starfleet red tape. Scotty and Kirk, unaware of all of this, get the Constellation working again and then discover that the Enterprise is getting its ass whooped. Decker attempts to continue his attack, but Spock warns him that, that he will be using this obvious attempt at su- suicide as justification to relieve Decker of command. Decker relents. Kirk and Scotty manage to draw the Death Funnel's attack away from the Enterprise by shooting at it and then attempt to get the Constellation to retreat. The Funnel begins ignoring the two ships and then and again heads back for the Rigel system. Ship-to-ship communications are restored, and Kirk kindly orders Decker to get the fucking fuck off his fucking bridge before he, Kirk, punches his fucking way through fucking space and personally fucking his skull fucks Decker. <laughs> Decker gracefully leaves the bridge, but rather, but rather than report to sickbay, steals a shuttlecraft and flies it directly into the death funnel in one last attempt to kill it. It is completely and totally awesome and doesn't do a whole lot of good. Sulu does report that the death funnel is slightly weakened, and Kirk gets the idea to fly the constellation into it. Transporters are being antsy, but Kirk risks it, beaming back to the Enterprise at the last possible second, destroying the death funnel and resulting in one of the coolest episodes of Star Trek we've watched so far. 
Yeah, it is. Jesus Christ, this was a great episode. There's a there's one of those recurring things that they do in a lot of Star Trek, which is the the Moby Dick parallel. Mm. The Ahab is totally insane against all reason and wants revenge against blah blah blah. Mm. And of course, Wrath of Khan does it. Uh, some others do it. Uh, I think First Contact they tried to uh, revive yep. that for Picard. But this is the first time, and it's it's damn good. Like, it's so Decker good. Just so completely flies in the face of all. Like, seven or eight times, they're like, you know, this is just, we're just going to poof on the surface, not make any impact whatsoever, and it's still going to keep going for Rigel. And he's like, I don't care, that thing took my crew! Ah." And the guy who plays Decker, he gets a little over the top sometimes. Yeah, I wish he was acting a bit a little better, that was my only complaint. But for the most part, he really sold it. Like, the the guy looks like shit, like he's got stubble. He does, but he doesn't doesn't look like homeless. No! (laughs) Like he, you know, sometimes they cast a guy like, um... What's uh, his face? Lazarus. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, Where it's like, wow, I guess they found that guy on the back lot. And I found out later that they actually intended to cast a real uh, Hollywood actor for that that role. And Mm. he was a guy they found on the back lot. But but sometimes this guy looked like he had been distinct. Like he looked like he should be a captain if he wasn't such a mess. Like if he didn't have the dark circles and the stubble and the the, the crumpled uniform, like he should be a Commodore. Mm -hmm. Which is nice. It, It looked like... A, a dignified guy was sort of, you know, driven insane. Yeah. He does this sort of thing where he awkwardly plays around with his, uh, what were they, like, discs, I guess? Yeah, they're like the little memory chips that they use yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to store things. I, I, th- I think discs didn't exist back then. I think that was one of their little speculations that they ended up getting right, but ah. uh, that's what they are. But he does that, and you really get the impression that, you know, he was a de- like he was a good captain. Yeah. And then his entire crew got eaten by a funnel. Yeah. And uh, as you pointed out, uh, looked amazing. This, the uh, the, the uh, restored effects, like oh we go on and God. on about these, but really, I can't think of a better episode in this series. Like, there may be another one coming up, but so far anyway, that the improved effects made such a difference. I remember what the Doomsday Machine looked like mm-hmm. in the original. It looked like a giant space rectum. <laughs> and I, I, I say that as a joke, but it really, it, it had very anus-like properties. <laughs> <laughs> Captain the uh, Captain the uh, Doomsday Machine appears to have many anus-like qualities to it. Fascinating um, and logical too. Yeah. Um, at least I didn't say assinating. Yes. Uh, <laughs> We're all very proud of you. Yes. Um, but no, the the restored version looked way more menacing. It, it wasn't complex or anything. It still like kept the basic design, but it, it just looked. Like a crazy giant space maw that was consuming things. Yeah. like And the effects on the ruined constellation just looked really good, and they, they really went all out on this mm-hmm. one. Like, it's got that, that, that look to it, sort of like how people don't like the Daleks because they look so completely unhuman. Right. Like, there's nothing there. It's just this thing. Yeah, it doesn't look like a ship. It doesn't look like it's alive. It just looks like a thing. Yeah. and Which definitely helps. And when Decker flies the shuttlecraft into it at the end, there's this great sensation of of scale right like you have the tiny little shuttlecraft and this just massive gaping maw with like something inside of it i god it was cool as as opposed to say v'ger in the motion picture which they put on such a ridiculous scale that you really didn't get a sense of how big it was because it was so huge yeah this was a couple of miles long so at least you still it was huge but it wasn't so huge it was ridiculous Mm -hmm. yeah it was just amazing um oh of course, speaking of the motion picture, uh, Decker is, uh, they don't actually say this on screen, but it's supported by a lot of uh, 
a lot of other evidence, like the novelization, I think, and mm-hmm. a bunch of comics and stuff. Yeah. He is he is the father of uh, Will Decker, uh, who <laughs> who ended up being uh, re- revised as as a sort of 2.0 as Will Riker. Yeah. But uh, Will Decker, the sort of bland hero in the motion picture who falls for the, who has a relationship with the bald chick, mm-hmm. uh, this is his father, which is a nice bit of, you know, little tying things together continuity. And Kirk comes onto his ship and does exactly what Decker does. I gotta wonder if that was deliberate. I gotta wonder if that wasn't, like, a nice little nod to, you know... Yeah, that'll be interesting to look out for when we get to the motion picture. Well, we'll have a lot of time to ponder it, because yes. not a lot happens. No. <laughs> um, but no, the, the, the effect... It, it feels like, like, the Apple... They didn't have anything to do with the VFX guys. They couldn't make that set look any better. They couldn't make Vol's stupid head look any better. Mm. They just... They had to sit that one out. And they felt like they were making up for it. In this one. Yeah. Because the, most of this is space action. Most of this is, is effect shots and models and stuff. And they just really went all out. And it looks like it stands up to the best episodes of, like, late in DS9 when they yeah. started doing good CG stuff with the war and stuff. Oh, God. Uh, just the look of the constellation. Yeah, the, just the with constellation. The, with, like, the busted nacelle and, oh, my God. Yeah, you see, like, the, 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 the skeleton, like... Uh, what do you call it, like girders or whatever underneath yeah, yeah. that should have the, uh, supported the skin. Mm-hmm. But uh, you see them showing because the actual hull has, has busted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's cool because I don't think, like, I know there are other classes of ship at this point, but I don't think we've seen any, have we? No, I don't think so. I don't think, they can, I don't think they've, they've built more models yet. Like, they're, no. they're spending their money elsewhere. But in this case, I think it was better to make it the same class of ship as the Enterprise because it, it feels... A little creepier to see a ship that we're now familiar with that we've seen thirty times mm-hmm. torn to pieces. Like, mm-hmm. Fuck, that could happen. That could happen to the guys we like. Yeah, that's not cool. There's, there. You know, we we watch these episodes together and we and we make comments over over I am and there's uh I, I was I, I tend to go back through and look over what we talked about for you know to pick out our best comments. Yep, there there wasn't a lot to pick out because we didn't talk much. We were so excited and so just enraptured that yeah. It's like if if the Mystery Science Theater guys sat down and watched a really great movie and just were silent the whole time. Yeah. We were just like, that's really cool. That's really cool. And then every now and then in all caps, that's fucking awesome. And that, that, was, <laughs> that pretty much amounts to our commentary for this. Ugh. This is really like one of those that, that is like sort of the perfect Star Trek episode. I mean, there's a couple of minor quibbles here and there. Mm-hmm. But overall, it tells a very human, tragic story. It does some really cool sci-fi stuff. There's a lot of action. Everyone's doing cool character things. It, just, it has a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. It's episodes like this that make Star Trek great. Yeah, this is one of, like this is one of the ones that you show people when you want them to start watching Star Trek. Yeah, absolutely. And, this is like uh, this is what it's about. Yep. And again, very very human drama, but uh, relatable. Yeah. But also very much set in space. Like, yeah. There's there's certain key elements that are that could only happen in space. Yeah. Which oh, is nice. so cool. Yeah. Uh, anything else about this one? I mean, we could go on and on about this forever, but... Uh, I'm just looking over the comments, and just somewhere yeah, in the middle, I'm just like, oh, God, I love Star Trek. That's what I'm saying, and, and if uh, if I'd left the timestamps in, you could see where there were five or ten minutes of silence. Yeah. <laughs> because we were just so impressed. This is so cool. Yeah. Gotta say something. <laughs> Damn it. Well, it's, I mean, I don't think... You said that this is probably your favorite one so far. I don't yeah. know if I'm willing to go that far, but it's definitely in my top five or ten. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, it, it just it it 
completely got the job done. And I'm so glad that this didn't come first and then the Apple. Cause that would have been was... such a letdown. Yeah. Just like, that was awesome. I fucking love Star Trek. Now let's muck around in the, in the jungle for an hour. It's like, it's like the, uh, the movie Twins. It's like uh, the Apple was Danny DeVito. <laughs> got all the horrible genes, all the bad stuff. <laughs> the Doomsday Machine was Schwarzenegger, who got to be smart and pretty and strong and charming. It's just, it's not fair. But there you go. Anything more? Or are we? Uh... Uh, I think that's it. Let's. Uh... All right. So uh, for for my episode, in the future, in the future, in the future this episode future. is probably still happening. In the future, in the future, it's really, really hard to get your insane commanding officer off the bridge and out of your goddamn hair. <laughs> All right. And for for my quote, um, there weren't really a lot of good quotes in in my episode. I mean, really, there weren't. Um, I'm, I actually ended up choosing two because there's this odd thing where Kirk keeps calling back to Scotty, like, "What's going on with the ship?" And he keeps using the same metaphor. Mm-hmm. Like he keeps, for some reason. He's got it in his head to uh, to compare everything to to one certain thing. So I'll I'll just play those here. We can't make transporter contact, sir. The entire system's inhibited. The way it is now, we couldn't beam up a fly. We might be able to pull out with warp drive, but without it, we're like a fly on flypaper. Even worse. Yeah, for some reason, Scotty loves flies. I don't uh, I don't know what that's all about. Scotty, what the hell's going on up there? I'm sorry, Captain. It's just someone left a sandwich out. <laughs> All right, for for the Doomsday Machine, that weird little that weird little dog monster we we had took a crap <laughs> on the bridge. It's such a vicious creature. <laughs> <sighs> All right, uh, mine's a little long, but this is basically the complete breakdown of uh, Commodore Decker. We tried to contact Starfleet. Uh, no one heard. No one. We couldn't run. What happened to your crew? Oh, I, I had to beam them down. Oh, we, we were dead. No power or phasers, useless. I stayed behind. Last man, captain, last man aboard the ship. That's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? Uh, and then it hit again, and the, the transporter went out. There they were, down there, and I, I'm up here. What hit? What attacked you? They say there's no devil, Jim, but there is a right out of hell. I saw it. Matt, where's your crew? On the third planet. There is no third planet. Don't you think I know that? There was, but not anymore. They called me, they... Begged me for help. Four hundred of them. I could. I. I could. <laughs> Very nice. Just so cool. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, we don't have any mail this week. Uh, there is one quick point of order I would like to make. Uh, Adrian Bachnitsky, who uh, is a good friend of ours and joins us frequently on on our other podcast. Uh, mentioned a week or two ago that the theme to Star Trek uh, is not sung by an opera singer, but is in fact uh, performed by a theremin. Mm-hmm. Um, the corrections police uh, have informed us that that is incorrect. So, well, actually, Adrian, no, you're wrong. Yeah. So, sorry, I, sorry to deliver you that. Well, actually, but how uh, dare you, sir? That woman is singing her heart out. Yeah, 
and uh, no theremin could approximate that. You should uh, feel ashamed of yourself. Should he? All right. Uh, one more quick thing I wanted to bring up. Um, uh, this is sort of a behind-the-scenes thing. Uh, the postatomichorror.com website used to direct you to uh, a subset of, of my own algar.com uh, website, and now we have created its own... Uh, we've given it its own website now. Um, the upshot of all that is we're doing uh, the occasional blogging, uh, some supplemental stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to talk about these these great uh, comics. There's a There's a collection of... It's like 40 years of Star Trek comics on one DVD. And yeah. Amazon's selling it for like seven bucks right now. Yeah, mine's on the way. <laughs> I've been looking over it, and there's some great stuff, and I have a lot to say about it. And I didn't want to clog up my own website with it. No. So I've decided to give Postnomic Horror its own site. Uh, we have other things we occasionally like to discuss. We don't want to drag the show down with our with our minutia, so no. we might be occasionally blogging on there. Yeah, I've been looking for a place to talk about Star Trek novels for a while now, so this will yeah, be perfect. Could... We could definitely do that. We have a lot to say about that, and uh, and it and it sort of distracts from our episode reviews to do that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I feel like we are starting to guide a few people into the world of Star Trek, and it would be nice to to tell them, hey, also, you know, if you like the movies, if you like the uh, the shows, here's some good books for you. Know, it's not all t- it's not all terrible. Yeah, no, but but you do need a guide. Yes, because there is I a was, lot of it that's terrible. I was telling someone the other day that uh, the secret that a lot of uh, Star Trek fans don't tell you, and this is this is true. Um, 78, 79 episodes, whatever, uh, t- probably 20 of them are actually really great. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek fans don't like to admit that very often, but that is, that is the case. That, and that is yes. why we are here. Mm-hmm. We're here to jump on an episode like the Apple so you don't have to watch it. Yeah. And tell you that an episode like the Doomsday Machine is worth your time. Seriously, it's not even so bad it's good. It's just bad. It's bad, yeah. bad. It's so bad. Now I just want to hit it again. Yeah. All right, so uh, yeah, check out the postatomichorror.com. We have some new stuff up there. Uh, there's a poll up there about shirts. Um, if we get 12 yes votes, I will order shirts. We mm. have 10 now. So if two more of you say you want shirts, then there will be logo shirts. Come on, you know you want a shirt. Yeah, and then our logo designer can get paid, which yeah. is kind of a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. So please do that. And uh, that's pretty much it. Um, next week we'll be back, and it hopefully we'll, uh, won't be quite such a bipolar show. Yeah. We, so, could, we uh, pray. Yes, we, we can only hope. Yes. So until then, uh, so long. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is published weekly and is available via iTunes or on the web at postatomichorror.com. This program is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, and all original material contained herein is their intellectual property unless otherwise noted. All clips and references from Star Trek and related media are used without permission from CBS, Viacom, and or Paramount Pictures. Fair use is assumed for the purposes of review and parody, and the aforementioned co-producers do not receive any form of profit for this effort. Listener feedback can be sent to podcast at postatomichorror.com. An on-air response is guaranteed. 